0: This is Jeff Smith, entrepreneur, real estate investor, father of four, and if you want to leverage your message to gain deeper influence and build a lasting legacy, you should be listening to Stories That Sell with my friend, Scott Ramage. You have the knowledge, the experience, and the talent needed to succeed, but in the day and age we live in, skill is not enough your story is the most powerful tool in your arsenal this show will help you tap into that resource and learn how to leverage your message to gain deeper influence and build a lasting legacy tune in each week as thought leaders entrepreneurs and authors share how they built empires on the backs of their story you're listening to stories that sell with your host scott ramage
1: Hey, before we get started, imagine having a team of virtual assistants helping you out with everything from scheduling appointments, nurturing leads, processing payments, sending out marketing emails, creating content, managing your social media accounts, and so much more. The Ace for Gyms is here to make sure your business runs as smoothly as possible so that you can focus on what matters most, serving your clients. We offer a wide range of services that will completely run your business and give you the one thing everyone is limited on, more time. Check out our website at www.vasforgyms.com. That's V-A-S-F-O-R, gyms.com, and book an appointment to find out more. In this episode of Stories to Sell, I chat with my friend, Jeff Smith. Jeff joined the Special Forces after 9-11, and he is a currently a business owner, a real estate investor. He leads a mastermind in the fitness industry, and he also just launched his podcast, uh, The Tactical Empire, which is awesome. He and I discuss leadership values, really what formed him into the person he is today, and then we discuss doing
0: hard things.
1: Jeff, thanks so much for joining the show today.
0: Thanks for having me, Scott. I'm super excited about this opportunity, so I appreciate you.
1: I've had a I've had a lot of fun listening to your new podcast. We'll talk about that a little later, but um, gotten to know you a little bit on that. But I think I really want to start with, uh, you know, what experiences kind of I want to I want to rewind in your life and look at what experiences kind of molded you into the person you are today. Because, man, when I was learning about you, you've been in the special forces, you've been in corporate world, you've had your own business, so. Let's rewind and just kind of uh, hear about what has formed you into the person you are today.
0: Man, that's a big story. We're, we've only Good. got 45 minutes or so. Uh, I, I would say, um, if, if you talk about impactful things, I, I'm huge on family because, I mean, we have four kids. My wife's very important to me. Family is, is definitely a core value of ours. And so um, when I really think back to like, what has shaped me and molded me as a human, because I'm constantly kind of digging into that as I raise my own kids and try to be the best dad I could possibly be. Um, it, a, a lot of it comes from the military, which you mentioned, and I, I was in special operations. And um, also I, I would say playing sports. Like those are those are two very impactful shaping experiences for me having grown up the way I did and uh sports were incredibly important I played everything growing up all the way through college I played football and uh then went into the military a couple years into college uh weird little jaunt and story there but I started working in the corporate world and then 9-11 happened and right after 9-11 I enlisted active duty in the military and went directly in and uh, straight on through to Ranger Battalion through all the hoops that you have to jump through to, to reach that.
1: Yeah. Wow. So I definitely want to talk about that, especially since it's kind of it correlates with nine 11, but like sports, not everybody comes out of their sport experience, their, their competitive experience winners. They don't all come out with the right mindset. Why do you think that that had such a huge impact on you positively
0: well, for me, I, I long story, but I, I grew up without a father figure. Um, and so for me, a lot of my fatherly influences, good or bad came from coaches, uh, over time and learning to work as a team, learning to take constructive criticism and discipline and those type of things. I, I think they, they definitely shaped me accountability, um, things like that. So I, I was a young, hell-raising boy throughout my childhood, got in trouble with the law a handful of times, did, did general things that you would assume, um, more than most, I would say, uh, more than I would have liked in retrospect, but uh, a lot of those lessons were good coming up. And so I, I think my sports experience, while I, I didn't win all the time, it taught you winning and humility and, and losing. And it, just a general work ethic of how to kind of put in the time that translates into business ownership at this point.
1: Yeah, I, growing up and, and being kind of like mediocrely, I don't know if that's a word, involved in sports, I remember specifically like when things started to click, when the lessons kind of all came to fruition, when I, I started to realize the power of the team and as opposed to self, when I started to realize strategy and um you know uh, just all of the different skills like it, for me it was a junior in high school it was that late where it really clicked and actually changed the level of play for me quite quite dramatically do you remember a time when it went kind of from just something fun to do to where things started to kind of click in place mentally not performance wise
0: i i don't honestly saying this as humbly as possible i was always like the team captain or whatever ran like summer workouts, stuff like that. I just always knew that it was an outlet for me, for one thing. But I also enjoyed and thrived on on that leadership role, and people looking to me to kind of carry the ball, if you will, um, for a sports analogy. <laughs> but but um, I think it was really collective suffering because I see that in the other aspects of my life that i've enjoyed and thrived in because like i can i can suffer um, especially physically on on a high level and i think that the bonds created through physical suffering are are really hard to emulate in other arenas and so i mean i talk a lot about society and things like that in my podcast uh, and i have some deep-rooted beliefs on where we're going and i think that uh, getting away from that uh, and and softening softening our younger generations to to not understanding how to suffer physically is the easiest way to teach it, right? Because you 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 can't you can't replicate two a days in football when you're miserable and sore and and it's 115 degrees and your helmet is so tight that it's giving you just a screaming headache and you've got to go out and practice for three more hours, like that that is literally the lowest barrier of creating that environment that that we can kind of emulate in in our society and and if we bypass those lessons for our kids when they finally come up against hardship in their lives they they're incapable of handling it
1: yeah i i can see and understand that to a very deep level so is that collective suffering? I mean, you obviously did that as a sport. You talked about football and you're, were you in Houston growing up as well?
0: No, I grew up in Illinois.
1: Okay. So you didn't have that, that humidity. It must've been probably 10 times worse there. I would guess if it's even possible, but, um, so how did that, is that kind of what shaped you into the, um, the man who was able to kind of step into the special forces. Cause it's not, you don't just go in and you're like, Hey, yeah, I want to be in special forces. I want to be in the upper echelon. I'm sure that was a uh, pretty hellish trek in itself.
0: Well, I think that there's, there was commonalities um, in the military uh, between who qualified for our units for sure. And, and most of them, well, while you didn't have to have a big sporting background, you had to have a lot of grit and you had, to, you had to have the capability of understanding suffering and the purpose behind it. And then what I really loved about both football and the military was like the bonds that it formed and the level of trust that it brought about. Um, I was having a conversation with somebody, uh, I think on another podcast recently about how like it our units in the military are every color of the rainbow with every belief and every like hobby. And but when it came time to work because of the work we had put in, there was a level of understanding and focus that like the job was going to get done. Like I don't have to agree with who you are or what you do on the weekends or how you raise your kids. But ultimately we're, we're moving in the same direction and there's an understanding of like the greater mission at hand and football was the same way. Like obviously you had your buddies who played football with you and you always didn't hang out with everybody. I mean, you see this in college, especially as they faction off into like the offensive linemen all live with each other and they hate some of the defensive guys. And like, that's just nature. But like when it comes to playing in the games, Like everybody knows that we're moving in the same direction with one objective. And, and I think business correlates that way a lot as well. And I, uh, my wife and I try to raise our family similarly as well, that we have a team and every player on the team has a role and they, they need to hold the standard for what our family represents. And, and it's, it's no different than a fire team in the military. Or a football team on the field.
1: Yeah, it, it, I was. I was just. It was perfect segue because I wanted to ask you how the transition from you know sports, which you said you 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 stopped college midway to enlist. <laughs> is that correct?
0: So you no, went, no, okay. no. What happened first was I, I got injured, got had surgically repaired my lower leg, um, and then moved and took a corporate job. Then I left the corporate world um, without a degree and en- enlisted in the military. So, okay. yeah, miss- that was kind of the transition of things. And then when I got out of the military, I went back to the corporate world. So, that's like we'll, we'll come full circle, I'm sure. But,
1: yeah, how is that transition? You're coming from competitive, you know, competing. To, I guess in the corporate world, there's a lot of competition and then into the military, then back into corporate world and we'll eventually get to business ownership, trying to kind of link the the pieces here. Like, what was the drive between those transitions?
0: Well, I think to speak to the to wrap up the whole military thing and who came in and like what that avatar was of who it kind of ascended to special operations, it, it was people that had. Competitive natures and, and deep-rooted value systems, if you will. Like most of us were pretty hardcore patriots above all, and whatever we believed or entertained us on the weekends, like I'm talking about, like fundamentally, we could always return to like w- our purpose of what we were, what we were there for. And so, it, they weren't all athletes. They weren't all all-state in football. I mean, I. Pat Tillman was in my unit so like when you talk about upper echelons of athletics like he was there we had many other people that played division one football in like high profile roles and things like that so there was just a natural track for really athletic people to get there obviously if they had the right mindset Um, but that wasn't everybody so I don't want to project that upon everybody we had historical buffs and things like that that really like they could tell you every war general in the entire 1900s and they came up because of their fundamental like understanding of history and so there was different drivers group people in the unit so I don't want to steal the story but I wanted to wrap that up because I didn't answer it at all and so you're saying the transition from corporate world to the military back to corporate world, right? Yeah,
1: I'm, I'm trying to connect the the you know the the different elements of all these things because you have a really wide variety of things that you've done. They're all pretty high performance type, you know, sp- sports, military, special forces, uh, corporate, and business. So you have to perform in those areas to succeed. So um, yeah, talk about that that transition. Well, let's talk about the transition out of the military. I mean, how did you? Was that, was that tough for you?
0: It, it was extremely tough. Um, I got out in 2004 um, and it, it was an interesting story because I got injured in the military, broke some bones in my leg and tore a bunch of ligaments and tendons. And so at the time we were deployed in both Afghanistan and Iraq. And we were a high mobility unit, I was going to take a year to rehab. And so I was kind of given this option um, of three options. I could go to the regular army and get surgery, heal up there, rehab there and switch to a different unit. Not an option, because when I came into the military, I only came in with one purpose. And that was to that was to work in the unit that I did. Second Ranger Battalion. That that was the day I started. That's where I was going, and that's where I served. Um, so it wasn't an option to return to the regular army. Then my second option was stay in my unit, but take a desk job, which is probably the worst option on the planet. Because like once you've been on a fire team, you don't want to be the guy scheduling airborne jumps and keeping track of everybody's jump logs or an armor and cleaning all the weapons or something like that. Because everybody gets to go out and work and do cool shit and you have to sit back there and do nothing. Um, So that part wasn't an option either. Or the third option was medically uh, discharge, go heal up at home with private doctors. That was another driver for me. I wanted to have surgery with the top level doctors, I didn't want the military surgeons working on me. Um, no, no offense to them, but I, I had, I, I think I was 24, 25 years old at the time, and I knew I had 50, 70, 100 years in front of me. And uh, I, I wanted to have a high quality of life. So the option was to get out of the military, and I knew I had a corporate job waiting for me. Because the job I left, even though I left full time to be active duty in the military, they hadn't dealt with anyone enlisting after 9 11. So the agreement that we made basically when I left was basically if I returned within five years, um, they would have a job waiting for me. Wow. And so if I stayed, if I, if I came back and wanted to work there again, I could come straight back in to a a job. So I did that. Uh, I took that route. It took me a while to get out of the military, a few months to ETS. And then um, I had six months from the time that I ETS out of the military to report back to that job. So it was come back within five years. And then within six months of actually getting out of the military, if I waited too long, they weren't going to hold a spot for me either. And so I made the mistake in retrospect of like, I'm a worker. And so like, I don't even understand not working. So I came home back to Illinois and started work. I think within 10 days of getting out of the military, I didn't take any time off. Wow. And yeah, I think in retrospect that led to a lot of the problems that I faced over the next five years, um, probably five years, maybe three. Um, but having gone back straight into the corporate world like it was it was not what i was used to obviously i got to sit in a cubicle and uh beat jake from state farm and uh so as you can imagine that's a little shocking and there's also a transition of like your identity is attached to who you were and how you were operating in the military right And so that identity gets stripped away entirely and you come back and you're just an average person at a corporate job. And there's not a lot more to it in that you can climb the corporate ladder, you can track to leadership positions, you can be a manager, whatever you wanna do. Um, I just found like zero fulfillment in it and it didn't really... And I say that because I I, I continued in the corporate world because like that was my fundamental thought process having grown up the way I did. Like get a good job, ride this thing out. I mean, that company had a pension, 401ks, all the other shit. And I mean, conventional wisdom was I would be foolish to ever want to do anything else. And what it did to me though was kind of, uh, really just it break me down. And like I, I was kind of hollow, if you will. And then in 2006, about a year and a half after I got out, um, two of my teammates that I grew up with in special operations got killed on a mission, uh, hitting a house in Iraq. And that really kind of was... The catalyst for my spiral downward, if you will, because I had a lot of guilt associated with that, because that was a that was a raid we would have done together, and uh, so it, like reconciling that in your head while you're at home, not doing anything fulfilling is 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 really hard, and so that led me to a lot of like soul searching. I mean, I would say that I had there was a period of time in my life where I was just like wandering around in my twenties that I didn't really have anything figured out. Shit. I still don't have anything figured out, but I'm doing, doing better.
1: <laughs> I'd say so. Yeah. I know, you know, you hear all the stories of the transitions from being in the military and you being in the special forces. I, I imagine the bond with those, I think you have referred to call, call them brothers with the, with your brothers in, in that battalion, And then, you know, your experience coming home and, and some of them um, not coming back. I was curious how that formed you into the businessman you are today. And you you kind of touched on it because I think a lot of listeners will totally relate to this because most of them are entrepreneurs where the doing the right thing, getting a career, going up the the ladder. You know, when I talked to you in in previous conversations, it's very clear that you, you you buck the financial system. You, you kind of, that's not your operating system. It's not your way of living is inside of that bubble and perceived what we should do. Um, when was that real? I mean, that was that real turnover. So you're, you're here and you're doing the corporate thing and you're struggling emotionally. I would imagine. Um, what was the big breaking point or the moment when you're like, you know, screw this, I'm, I'm changing. And what was the change?
0: Well, I mean, I think it happened over a period of years. It it took me a lot of time to like, I guess, gain that confidence to take the leap myself. I I bought an apartment complex, just a little seven unit apartment complex in, uh, when I was 26, we had another rental or two, a handful of rentals at the time. So I was doing real estate at the same time I was doing my corporate job. Like I, it was never enough for me just to do the corporate job. Like and, and I think that's, that's somewhat what ground on me. I, I always was envious of people that could check out at three o'clock and like go have hobbies, um, like woodworking, motorcycle riding, whatever the fuck it was like, that was just never me. And like, I was always looking for different business ventures, different investment vehicles, things like that. Um, and so I I don't know if there was ever like one turning point. I I think my wife and I working through a lot of things that went on in our relationship helped for sure. Cause like, she was a catalyst in me like finally just saying like, we don't have to live this way. Like I can do whatever I want to do. You can write your own story, right? Right. You can, you can lay out your own map. There's no, and, and a lot of that's wisdom over time, but I mean, we, we have a bunch of kids and things like that. So you get into these obligations that you're like, okay, is this, this is safe enough for every, everybody that's depending on me. And uh, at some point you just have to decide that like, you only really get one shot at this life and, and you might as well play it exactly the way you want to play it. And because nobody really cares. I mean, it uh, ultimately, I think we talk a lot about people are going to fucking judge you no matter what. So they're going to judge you if you do and judge you if you don't. And so you have to really just have this like really high sense of self and understanding, like not ego, but like just knowing yourself. And I think that comes into like, I, I've, I've dug so deep in the personal development space. And, and until I did all of that hard work like I think I was just coasting around accepting opportunities doing whatever society thought was right or whatever like shiny object was appearing
1: so your your focus and your your drive to I kind of steal the words from you is live a life by design you design your own you know, what, what, how you want to live and you go get it. I mean, you, that's one thing I really admire about you, Jeff, is you're just getting it. There's no excuses. There's no one's going to get it in your way. You don't need to apologize for something because you're chasing what you feel is right to chase in your life. Um, so you, you, you started delving into personal development. Like, let's talk about that and its role into, you know, to progressing. Cause you started in real estate early and it's no, it's no secret now that you're, you're very invested in, in uh, real estate. So why did you start or what? I guess I keep asking this question. What was the catalyst that kind of got you into, you know, that self-development, that personal development? Was there anything that was like this moment when you realized, I, you know, I'm screwed up, I need some help? Or was, was it influence of other people? I,
0: I think it was just like I was, I was personally not happy like I was really, really unhappy. And like, I mean, to the point where it, I was suicidal at times and things like that. But I mean, everybody goes through that type of stuff, right? And and a lot of it for me was associated with not ever doing the hard work to really understand who I was and what I wanted. And if, if you take anything from that, this podcast today, like figuring out who the fuck you are and what you actually want in life are the two most important things you can do and they're not simple questions like they can take you months to settle on but you really have to ask questions and then you have to go layers deep because oftentimes the the initial answer to like what we want is is really just driven by societal norms or like it, expectations of our parents or family issues right and so when you when you take total control of everything in your space is when you really understand and and then you're impervious to all the shit that comes your way because when i talk about people are going to judge you regardless like i don't give a fuck like you can think whatever you want about me good or bad like i know exactly who i am i know who i serve i i know at the root of me, what I'm doing. And my wife and I are like totally in alignment on it. And we meet regularly to talk about it. Like, is this still the path we want to be pursuing? Are we doing what we want to be doing? And I mean, it, it all goes back to our core values effectively. And then it comes back to deliberate planning. And when you were talking about lifestyle and things like that, we like, I'm big on what I refer to as reverse engineering. And so like I go out in the future and I say, this is what we're going to do. This is what we're going to have and, and a core value of ours is freedom. And so for me, a lot of the decisions we make are directly dictated, not by money, but by the amount of freedom and flexibility they afford me that decision. So like if you brought me a business deal that was going to run me to a billion dollars in the next five years, but I had to. Like I I had to dig into that job and be gone a hundred hours a week. I would flat out tell you, no, not for a billion dollars. I won't do it for five years. And so like, I think getting centered on those things and understanding, like I said, I mean, who you are and what you want on a deep level with no interference, like not even your spouse. Like you have to, you have to figure out what you want and then you have to come together. And like what she wants and what I want were slightly different, but very much the same. And so when she did the work and I did the work and we brought it back together, it was crystal clear on, on the direct path that we were going to be able to go on.
1: I love that because I think so many uh, business owners will have values and vision and everything for their business. But when it comes to their home, their home life, it's a mess, and that will absolutely affect your business. So, did you? How? What was this process of coming up with your values, your family values, and did they become before your? You know, you really stepped into your business values, or, or did those kind of all happen at the same
0: time? No, it was kind of the same. It, it was. It was kind of the same thing, and it was just recognition of, like it's just like most people, a lot of business owners have really screwed up personal finances mm-hmm. and you go in their business and they are, are pouring over their p ls with a fine tooth comb and they manage their money well in their business and then they go home and they're a dumpster fire. And for me, I, I just came to the realization that, that my life is no different than a business. Like my personal life is exactly like a business. So I'm going to run P&Ls for my family. I'm going to set goals for my family. We're going to have check-ins for my family. We have core values for our businesses. Why don't we have core values for our families? And I I don't know um, if you've ever heard me talk about value statements as well. Um, Value statements are like something you write with your will, if you will. Like people that go over and above on their estate planning, they write value statements for like, my kids are eight and under personally. And so if I died tomorrow, that value statement would be the guide posts for how our money is distributed and what values I want passed down to them. And anybody that is involved in their lives, whether it be grandparents, future spouses for my wife or whatever, I mean, you can call it whatever you want. And that may sound dark to some people, but like that, that is my intention with what I've created on this planet.
1: Yeah. I, I love that. How is that form? has that transitioned or affected your business? Because I, you know, I, it sounds like your, your family is consistently, meeting, talking, realigning, engaging you, especially in your, your wife and your kids are under eight. I would imagine they know your family values. They know, they know them already yep so so how does that relate in your business would, would every single one of your employees be able to, to list those out at this point
0: yes yes um, admittedly I mean I run a handful of businesses and so some of them I have not done a great job with and so like part of my role right now what I'm doing is um, we're taking a little break on a lot of our vacations and traveling that we're doing. And I'm really stepping into my role as a leader for these guys and and mentoring it at all my businesses, because I, I realized that things got a little loose over the last year and a half. And so we need to come back in and level set like everywhere, whether it's property managers in our rental businesses, whether it's stuff I'm doing consulting wise, or even at the gym, especially the gym. And so like, are they aware of our core values? Yes, absolutely. Um, it is, they they are designed to be their guideposts as well. (laughs) And so that is a lot of what I'm doing when I come back in and using the experience from like guiding my family. I'm, I'm talking to my teams exactly the same. Like You guys are decision makers. Like I'm grooming leaders and I have an expectation that everybody is leaders in our organization. Decentralized command, right? Right. Everybody can take the firearm and operate in any position on the team. And that it's the same concept. And if you live by our core values and believe in them and operate by them, you're never going to do the wrong thing. You may make a different decision than i make but it's not going to be wrong wholesale if you understand our values
1: yeah yeah that's really good and i like that you're reevaluating okay we've been living this life by design you know but in the in i imagine in kind of in the recon or deconstructing building from you know backwards you saw a gap and taking this stop um so you talked about personal development and, and really kind of diving in there in that, in that, and I'm sure that's ongoing, right? Like what is your most influential or who was your most influential person or book? I'd love to kind of hear what really
0: impacted you. And I'm sure there's more than one, but. Man, I've, I've literally done them all like Jim Rohn, Tony Robbins, you name it. I've done them. I mean, Ryan Stuman, Sean Whalen, Andy Frisella. Those are all great names to be on top of now. Um, Tim Grover's book, Winning, is absolutely incredible. Incredible. And so, I mean, to name one would be doing a disservice to anyone and everyone. I mean, I I have mentors my entire life. So, I mean, you talk about my story from my upbringing. I I worked um, for a guy named... Donald Rokosh, Dr. Donald Rokosh in, in Danville, Illinois, at a, a hunting lodge uh, growing up. And I think I started working for him when I was like 10 or 11 years old for like nickels. And, but some of the most impactful, like, guidance I got in my life it was, was from that, those jobs. Then I went on to be a garbage man. Um, a buddy of mine owns a disposal company or his father owned a disposal company. And so I, I worked as on the back of the truck, garbage trucks for multiple years in high school. And like, those are my favorite jobs. They taught me the most lessons in the hunting lodge. We built pistol ranges and carried railroad ties and shit like that from a very young age. And, uh, so it, it all goes back to the same thing, like having these, these men in my life to, to show me. The path, if you will.
1: Yeah, I mean, you talked about collective suffering and just suffering discomfort. I mean, that seems to be a central theme throughout this. And would you say that that's like a super important factor in being successful in business?
0: I don't think it's absolutely necessary. I mean, I, I, I work around some super powerful women that own some big companies, and they're they don't seem to be suffering. So, <laughs> but you never it's know. Just different. I you feel don't like know. yeah, yeah. yeah oh, yeah. We, we all are as entrepreneurs. There's no question because like you said, like I'm living this lifestyle by design or whatever, but like ultimately like owning businesses is a roller coaster and it's never going to stop. As long as you own the business, there's going to be ups and downs. There's going to be setbacks. People are going to leave you and leave vacancies and holes in your systems. It's just the nature of the beast. And you have to as you grow you become more wise and more stoic if you will Mm -hmm. and you handle the situations on a different level whereas 10 15 years ago everything I dealt with was a huge fire and it was crazy now it's just it's a much calmer response to like we've already been through this which is very similar than to the military and things like that yeah
1: yeah I think You know, you know. I think I've seen this pattern. It's just that entrepreneurs and successful business people, people who are owning businesses—what I mean by business, uh, business owners—perhaps embrace a lot of the the things they come their way with a different, with a different um, temperament, with a different uh, cadence than than those that try and give up or burn out. And I think I I feel like it's a very important part being a, a business owner. So let's talk about, I, I have kind of a, a question I want to, I want to ask, and I don't even know how I'd answer this personally, but if you were, you, you have multiple businesses. So if it was all taken away overnight, what would be your first thing you did? And, and would you restart those same things because you know a lot, or would you use it as a reset?
0: Well, I think that I would probably do similar things. I mean, I think that I I think that I would probably step into the same arenas um, for sure, just because I I know them so well. I, I think that when you see people go from millions to zero, like, and then they rebuild it within six months, it's because of that wisdom and experience. Like they're not making all the same fucking stupid mistakes they made that took them five years to get there. So I think naturally I would step back into the same arenas. Um, a lot of my businesses are supporting of each other. And so you would I would probably just focus on one first and rebuild it from scratch and uh, kind of go from there. But that's, that's an interesting question. I definitely enjoy and am grateful for everything that has been created, all the lessons have been learned throughout the years, uh, for sure. So I, I don't know that I would change them to an extent. I would tweak them moderately. And then obviously I would build way faster than I built previously.
1: So for the audience that doesn't know, and you kind of, you kind of um, <clears throat> tapped a little bit into this, you, you own a fitness facility and real estate and consulting. So why don't you just go ahead and uh, lay those out a little bit for us?
0: Yeah, I own uh, Canon Fitness and Performance in Houston, Texas. Uh, we've owned that, that. I opened that in 2011, so we're 10 years old uh, next month. And then I, we own personally 41 rental properties, and we own another 27 or 28 uh, as part of lead investors as a. a on a syndication when we did a capital raise. And so about 69, 68 properties, something like that right now. Um, We're moving some stuff around, so I don't know exactly. Um, But we we own a fair amount of real estate. Uh, I also do consulting. I run a mastermind for a fitness business consulting company called Two Brain Business. And then I also do um, consulting on my own for business owners outside of The gym space
1: i think that mastermind i I kind of follow that a little bit and i i i've seen some of the speakers that you've gotten to engage with some of the it's not only speaking you get them on like private calls um in those who's been your favorite (laughs) hate to call you out but i really want to know because you've had some incredible people recently chris voss you've
0: had yep jocko uh, yep like, yeah. And, and, and I mean, ultimately I owe all that to Chris Cooper, the, the owner of Two Business. I mean, he, he's the one who facilitates those. And, uh, but we, yeah, we do have some amazing, amazing speakers and they come into a very intimate setting, um, which is different than most settings that you're going to deal with because they step into our mastermind with 40 people and you get to ask your actual direct questions and things like that. So it's a it's a unique experience. It's been really fun to run. Um, we started it almost three years ago now, and it's it's been it's been great. Um, my favorite speaker of all time in there. I, I took a lot from Maxwell's Five Levels of Leadership. They came in and taught us a. Uh, a we we've done Story Brand. We've done five levels of leadership. We've done Chris Boss came in, as you spoke to, um, he was like sales objections and, and how to manipulate, uh, a conversation and use the right language to not piss people off. And you know, cause he's a expert interrogator, um, manipulates, probably not the best word, but it is what it is. That, influence. What it, <laughs> influence. There you go. There you go. Um, so I mean, he's fresh on my mind, and some of the things he said were incredible. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, they're all probably awesome. yeah, yeah. Mike McCallowitz has been in there a whole bunch, um, so he he's a he's a regular for us. Todd Herman, yep. Todd Herman was great. We went to Todd Herman's office actually in New York City and did a day with him uh, last year, 2020, before COVID hit, and that was probably that was actually the best one that we did. And in my opinion, cause it was in person, he had a really cool venue for it. There was only like 20 people there in New York city. And so it was, it was really, really cool. Yeah. And that would that'd
1: he, be pretty epic.
0: And yeah. And he taught a whole lesson on his book, alter ego, lots of Kobe Bryant stories, lots of Olympic athlete stories. Cause I mean, that guy, has mentored some some really high level athletes and business owners, so he he had some really incredible stories.
1: Yeah, yeah, boy, I mean that's like a that's a pretty epic list you just like, you just nailed down. Um, you know, I I I think I asked you a hard question earlier, like which one's been the most influential. I can see why you had such a difficult time when you're when you're kind of listing those names out. Um, you know, I want to talk a little bit about habits because I think habits and, um, you know, daily practices and routines and, and, and some of the things I know that you in, engage in are a big part of your life. What would you say, like, if everybody needed to do something daily that would improve them as a leader, as a person, what would you say that is?
0: Oh, man. I, if I can only pick one, it's, it's, Take control of your time and structure your time and block it. But then I would be like, you, you need education, read books, you need to be like positively influencing your mindset. So you have to be careful on the inputs. If you're watching trash TV, listening to trash music, it's all going in your subconscious. And so um, you've got to be careful about that if you're watching the news like all of it. And besides, besides education on a daily basis, whether it's reading or listening to books, um, fitness, managing your nutrition, working out, managing your nutrition, connecting with your partner, like relationships. I mean, I go down a checklist every single day. And if you touch it every single day, you're, you're going to be moving forward. It compounds like money compounds.
1: Yeah, I think maybe that's the one answer, right, is having all these things that you make sure you do every single day. So yep. you, talk, you talked about um, this collective suffering, but also just doing hard things. Do you normally practice in anything that kind of stretches you now?
0: Yes. And, and when I found my darkest times out of the military, what I realized was I was just working in the corporate world and I wasn't challenging myself um, physically. Physically. And so for me, I I started doing harder things again, and that really brought me back a sense of peace and understanding, like connecting with who I am, if you will. Um, So, I mean, I ran 50 miles a couple months ago. Um, I I try to actively participate in, in challenges, whether personally or like a lot of times I just make them up because I enjoy, like I'm capable of doing that myself. So I will leave and go like say, let's do 26.2 miles with a ruck. And so I'll leave on a Saturday morning at the crack of dawn and go do that. Um, Things like that I do, because I constantly know that I need to be challenging myself physically because that's the translation in my personal life for doing hard things in in every other area and so like when I abandoned physically hard things like I was not in good mental health and that's what I found personally like whatever your thing is whether it's playing music or whatever I think I think there's a lot of other ways to hit that that nerve but for me it just happens to be like continuing to push the envelope physically and I, I'm dealing with some issues. I've got, I think I've got a torn labrum in my hip that I've had for about a year at this point that I haven't got taken care of. So it, it's causing me some issues now with some of that stuff. But ironically, the, the time before when I was not doing physical challenges, I was hurt for like three years, if you will, because I've got all kinds of shit wrong with me, but like specifically I was injured for a period of time and I didn't go about fixing it. And what that led to was like, I, I just chose the easy route. And I, I just said, forget, we won't do physical challenges anymore. Like that's easy. But then I was like, well, I, I woke up one day and I'm like, well, I'm 35, 36 years old. And like, I'm not gonna do this forever. Like I'm, gonna, I'm not gonna avoid these things forever or, I guess settle for the fact that like I'm incapable of doing these things anymore, because that's not, that's not reality. Like I was telling myself a story again, just like everything else in life. And, and so I had to, I had to reframe my fucking story and the shit I was telling myself. And it was just my own bullshit. And so I went to rehab. I got my stuff fixed up. I'm really big on like naturally fixing myself if possible. That's why this labrum's like causing me some, dicey issues because it's it's a surgery only fix, which like I'm not super accepting of. So I'm I'm looking around for doctors. If anybody's out there that's a doctor that <laughs> dealt sure. with rooms call me, find me, and uh fix my labrum for me. So
1: yeah, that's I I I recently decided I'm gonna start doing ice baths after I work out and and it scares it scares me tremendously cuz you know the working out there's like you can keep building and building and building and then you're doing it all day and i'm like oh this is the next step cuz i i i hate them i i hate them and i want to be able to embrace them and and get to the point where it's i don't think it'll ever get easy no it's like no. an eternal challenge so um so i want i want to like speak on behalf of people that might be listening that that are just getting started or or they're or trying to understand or, or, or figure out how their, their own story, their own experiences are going to form them into, you know, where they need to be. Let's look at it this way. If you could go back and tell yourself something, you know, from before you got involved in your own businesses, let's say in your twenties, what advice
0: would you give yourself? But any and every job that you ever do is a reflection on your character. And so if you feel like a job is beneath you and you have a bad attitude about it it's, and, and you perform poorly at it, you're fucked. It's simply a reflection on who you are and, and, and the output that you're putting out there. And, and that's going to limit your ability to grow.
1: I heard you on a podcast, well, let me rewind about six months ago, I put up on, on social media in a, in a black, like stark post. I said, how you do one thing is how you do everything. And it's funny because I was listening to you on a podcast, uh, you know, kind of preparing for the preparing for this. And you said, you know, I believe that how you do one thing is how you do everything. Uh, the funny thing is, is I had a lot of people in leadership positions or higher level positions uh, say that that's completely incorrect. And um, it kind of rocked my world a little bit, but I still believe it.
0: Well, I mean, I, I think to an extent, how you do one thing is how you do everything. They're, they're talking about like balance, right? And, and I don't think that there's such thing as balance either. Um, there, there's just focused energy and, and then we get better over time at shifting focus and being more efficient with that focus shifting. Like early on, when you start, you suck at it and you waste three hours fucking around and like, you can't get focused and your, your results are impacted. Um, but I, I think the common misconception with people is that they think that, it's not a long road to success. And they they want it now. And and it's nothing against younger people because age doesn't really matter. I talk about I talk about age and life cycle in entrepreneurial terms. Like if you're a young entrepreneur, you might be 20 years old, but 12 years in business. I don't know. But I'm talking about age and business. But I think that the younger people not having understanding for like how you develop skills over time that then transfer into your long-term success is, is the biggest issue and travesty that we're dealing with. Yeah. They want, they want to skip the middle and go straight to the success. And that's, that's not how it works. And so, when you talk about how you do one thing is how you do everything, it really all goes back to micro actions compounding over time into macro results. And if you don't understand that, you're going to struggle.
1: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's good. That's really good. I kind of want to stop on that because I think that's a that's a um, such such a strong message. Jeff, thank you very much. Let, why don't you tell the listeners, uh, like how they can find you if they're interested in talking to you about real estate or like, you know, want to hire you as a consultant. Tell us all about that.
0: Yeah. You can reach me at, um, any number of channels. I'm on Facebook. Um, just as Jeff Smith, I am on Instagram, uh, Jeff Smith, underscore HTX, like Houston, Texas. I can also you can shoot me an email at Jeff at the jeffsmithcom and uh I'll answer your emails there. We can hook up and chat on Messenger or whatever. I'm happy to help you guys do whatever. Uh I also run a podcast called The Tactical Empire, which I'm super passionate about growing. Uh we're highlighting just growth like we're discussing on this particular podcast, and also I'm I'm focused on uh, really highlighting veteran entrepreneurs that are doing big things because I think it's an important conversation to have because generally our our community gets a, ne- a negative rap on all the bad things going on in it, right? whether it's suicide or whatever is associated with it. But I've got a bunch of friends doing big things, building big shit. And I, I want everyone to know how that translates. And so the younger veterans know That you don't have to go to work for a corporate job. You can do your own thing. There's paths for this stuff. There's financing available. There's all kinds of shit. So, um, but ultimately be a good human being, raise a good family. That's your number one impact is your local impact. And it starts in your house and in your head.
1: For sure. For sure. Well, awesome. Jeff, really appreciate you being on the show.